I, I, I don't ever get over that. I don't understand it. And uh, I'm so grateful for it. Uh, we sure have a great God, don't we? A God who didn't have to do what He did. But I'm so glad He did. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Last Wednesday, we finished up our third week on dealing with the will of God from Scripture. And I, for many years, used to tell people, they'd say, Pastor, what's God's will uh, for my life? And I used to say, well, that's not for me to say. Because what we usually mean by that is, what are the, the details of what God's plan is for my life? What has He got laid out before me? But if we take that phrase, the will of God... And the truth is, He does let us know what His will is. And He tells us that in His Word. And so we began a study a few weeks ago on Wednesday night on teaching from the Bible what is the will of God. The will of God. And I, there are several things that we know from Scripture to be the will of God. And the first one we dealt with was, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And we began to deal with that, and we spent a few weeks on things that would hinder our thankfulness. And then we spent last week dealing with some things that we should be thankful for, things that will help us to be thankful and grateful. One of the things we came across was the verse of Scripture that says, But thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift, of course, referencing the Lord Jesus Christ and His life here on this earth and the fact that He lived a sinless life so that uh, He could be the perfect sacrifice. So that He could die on a cross and pay the penalty that you and I owe for our sin. And then He turns around after He rose from the dead and He offers us eternal life. He gives it to us freely he doesn't make us work for it or earn it. He doesn't make us uh, pay for it in any way. He just simply gives it to us as a gift. The only thing He has us do is to put our faith in Him and to trust Him for it. To believe that what He did on Calvary was enough to pay for my sin. To believe that the fact that He died on the cross for my sin, I can have His righteousness placed on my account. To put my faith in that. My hope of heaven is not because I've lived a good life. If that's the case, I'm not going there. And by the way, neither are you, if that's what you're trusting. I'll be real frank with you. My going to heaven isn't dependent upon me pastoring a church or being a church member in a church. My going to heaven doesn't depend upon whether or not I got baptized when I was a baby or a kid. Whether or not I go to heaven is not dependent upon who my parents were or how well I was raised. It doesn't matter how much money I have or how little I have. It doesn't matter how famous I become or how obscure I am in history. What determines whether I go to heaven or hell is whether or not I trust the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did for me on Calvary 2,000 years ago. <clears throat> if you want to make it there, 
And that's the only way you can go as well. God told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, He had told them that in the day they ate of the tree of the garden that they were not supposed to, that they would surely die. And the truth is, they did spiritually. They died that day. There was a separation from them and God. There was all of a sudden a need for man to be redeemed from his sin, to be bought back from his sin. Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, said this in verse number 1 of chapter 3, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. I hope and pray that every person sitting here today has trusted Christ as their Savior and they could say, I've been risen with Christ. I'm not going to heaven because of what I did. I'm going to heaven because of what He did. I'm risen with Christ. And I hope all of you can say that. And if you cannot, can I plead with you this morning to trust Him as your Savior? Because the alternative is an eternity spent in hell. By the way, whether you believe it or not, hell is real. There's a fellow written in the Bible named Lazarus who knew a rich man. Both of them died, and the rich man, the Bible says, in hell he lifted up his eyes in torment. He seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. You know what the, you know what the rich man's request was? It wasn't, it wasn't that he could have some, some comfort of his home or his wealth or his riches or his robes. You know, what the, you know what the request of the rich man was? One drop of water. Just a drop of water. To put it on his tongue. Because he made this statement, for I am tormented in this way. I'm not here to scare you into, into heaven or to scare you into trusting Christ as your Savior, although if I could, I would do that. But I think it's very important that you understand and know that if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior today, your destination right now as you sit here is hell. It's not heaven. I've done a lot of funeral funerals over the years. I, I would say probably a hundred or close to it over the years. It's amazing to me how many times I've had phone calls from people saying, we don't have a church. We don't have a pastor. Would you mind doing the funeral for our, our loved one? I'm always thrilled to have the opportunity to do that. I go meet with the family, and I sit there in the living room, and they all talk about the fact that they never had time for the Lord. They talk about how they would go to the family cabin on the weekends and how Mama or whoever it was that passed would bake their favorite items and how much fun they had and all the memories of life that they had. But it's amazing how many times in those moments the family assumes that their loved one has gone to heaven. My friend, if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, that's the only way. There's a lot of people who will get on the news and they'll say, there are many paths to God. No, there's one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by 
me. That's it. I, I, I don't want ever to stand in heaven one day and watch as God judges someone that sat in the pews of, these, of this church and says, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't want to have to stand there in heaven realizing that I failed somehow as a pastor to share the good news of the gospel story. He said, Pastor, you're sitting here saying that if I'm not saved, I'm on my way to hell. That's not good news. <laughs> no, but that's the reality of it. The good news is you don't have to keep going to hell. The good news is He didn't come to, to condemn us. <coughs> Christ didn't come here to enslave us. He didn't come here to put us under His thumb. The Bible says that He came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible says that He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Over and over through Scripture, we find that God came to this earth because we were already condemned. And He came to save us. What a loving God we have. And Paul writes, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Let's pray together. Father, in the next few moments, I pray that You would help as we try to bring across the message that I believe You have for the day. Lord, someone here tonight or today needs this. Lord, it may just be me. It may be others in this room. I pray that You would help that Your Holy Spirit will do a work in our hearts. And Father, draw us to You, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting that when man sinned, the Bible says, In the day ye thereof thou shalt surely die. And yet it tells us here that Christ is our life. Paul told the church at Corinth, I believe it was, If, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Keep your Bibles handy. Let's look in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter number 11. John, chapter number 11. John 11. And let's look down in verse number 25. Sorry, verse number 21. Lazarus, who was a dear, dear friend of the Lord Jesus Christ, had died. Mary and Martha are grieving because Jesus had waited four days before He came. And verse number 21, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if Thou had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now whatsoever Thou wilt ask of God, God will give it Thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection 
and the life. He that believeth in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in Me shall never die. Here we find the Lord Jesus Christ who's trying to teach a lesson. And isn't it amazing that the God of the universe that fashioned us out of the the clay of the ground and out of the dust of the ground and breathed into our nostrils, into man's nostrils, <coughs> the breath of life. And the Bible says he became a living soul. Isn't it amazing that the God that made man in the beginning in the Garden of Eden is the same God that gives you and I life today? If it were not for him, you and I would cease our existence. The Bible tells us what is this life? It is even a vapor that appeareth. For a little while and then vanisheth away. Folks, you do not have the guarantee, neither do I. You do not have the guarantee of another hour, another minute, another second. When God says it's time to go, it's time to go. Not only is He going to be the one that resurrects those who have died before the, the, the rapture in that day, but He is also the one that is the giver of life and sustains our life physically, and it ought to be something we thank Him for each and every day. But I don't want to talk to you this morning about the life, the physical life that He gives, although we ought to be grateful for that, it ought to be something we thank Him for each and every day. But I want you to understand that the Bible says that He came to give us life, and to give us life more abundantly. I want to talk to you about the life that God gives to us when we trust Him as our Savior, the Bible says, "...and you hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins." The word quickened there means to be made alive. <coughs> to be born again. To be made anew. To be made fresh. Look with me in John chapter number 14. We just quoted this a few moments ago, but I want you to see it in Scripture. John chapter number 14 and verse number 6. Jesus said, <coughs> "Excuse me, I am the way." the truth, and the life. By the way, He is all three of those. He is the way, the only way. He is the truth, the only truth, and He is the life, the only life. This Christ who is our life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. There are some things that when we get saved... We get life in. I'm going to tell you this. I think it's important that you and I come to a realization that the gift that God has given to us is truly an unspeakable gift. When we talk about unspeakable, and the word that is used there oftentimes is used in a reference of grief. When we talk about people who have unspoken grief or unspeakable grief and the fact that they are so emotionally distraught that they cannot express in words what their heart is feeling. When the Bible tells us, but thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift, it's not speaking about grief. but speaking about our gratitude and the, the, the emotion, the, the, the thrill of our hearts is so, so moving and so overwhelming to us that it is impossible to put into words. We sang that song this morning, The Love of God, and on that third verse, it said, could we with ink the oceans fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? 
And if every man were a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, those stretched from sky to sky. Folks, I'm going to tell you something today. This world is trying to offer a lot of things to a lot of people. They're trying to make the world. They're trying to make people love them. They're trying to make uh, the, the philosophy of the world and the, the entertainment of the world and the, the fashions of the world and the attitudes of the world all the look appealing. And they cause. Uh, to, they're trying to draw men's hearts to them. Can I tell you this? There is nothing this world has to offer that ought to be any more special and precious to us than the eternal life that God gives to each and every one of us through the Lord Jesus Christ. I fear so often that as Christians even, we become apathetic and we become lackadaisical about what God has done for us. Where's the thrill of our hearts? Where's the place where we get to where we say, God has done so much for me that it is an unspeakable gift. I can't even express to you what God means to me. The fact that He sent His own Son to die on the cross for my sin is an overwhelming, an overwhelming thought. The fact that He in turn hands it to us freely. It says all you need to do is put your faith and trust in Me. That's overwhelming to me. Let's see what the Bible says about this life that Christ is. Look with me first of all in Romans chapter number 6, if you will. Romans chapter number 6. And Folks, I'll tell you, as a Christian, as those of us that are saved, when we read things like this, and, and I, think, I think this is the problem. I was listening to a preacher a number of years ago, and he, and he made this statement. He had been through the Bible personally, I think it said about 60 times or so, maybe 50 sometimes, from cover to cover at that point in his life. <coughs> and was still reading through the Bible on a regular basis. And he made this statement. He said the danger there is in coming to church all the time and reading the Bible all the time is we begin to yawn through the the extraordinary and we begin to yawn through the impossible. We begin to yawn through the miracles because we've heard it all before. When we hear the story of David and Goliath before they're done with the story, we already know the end. And he told us as he was preaching, he said, the way I keep my Bible exciting to me is I read it as though it's the very first time I've ever read it. Oh, that we can look at the truth of God's Word as if it were the first time we were ever hearing it. When we hear of salvation and what God has done for us, if we could express ourselves as though it were the very first time we had ever heard it, with the awe and the amazement and the, the reverence to God for it. But we've heard it all before, haven't we? we, we we've, we've heard it in a song and we've read it in Scripture and we've heard it preached on uh, over and over again. But where is the thrill of the Christian life that expresses the way the Apostle Paul did in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 4 when he said, when Christ, who is our life? Is Christ your life today? Is He your all in all? Is He everything to you? Look with me in Romans chapter 6, a very familiar verse, in verse number 23. The Bible says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? 
is, is what? Eternal life. Do you realize that the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, you get eternal life in heaven for all of eternity? Oh, what a wonderful joy that is. My dad, years ago, when he was preaching in the pulpit, he said, one day I'm going to die and they're going to lay my body in a casket and people will come forward. And they'll look at me laying there. He said, you, want, you need to understand something. He said, that won't be me. He said, I'll be more alive at that moment than I've ever been. Why? Because Christ is my life. He's my life. He's given me eternal life. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the only way. John chapter number 3, another passage that most of you could probably quote. John chapter number 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him... Aren't you glad He said whosoever there? That whosoever believeth in Him should not... What? Perish, but have eternal life. Before I got saved, guess what? I was going to perish... And so were you. But when I got saved, Christ, who is my life, gave me eternal life. <coughs> he gave me everlasting life. You say, well, Pastor, we won't get to enjoy that till we get to heaven. Oh, I'm enjoying it now, I'll tell you this. Because God gives us so much more. When God came into my life, when He moved the Holy Spirit in this place, the day I trusted Him as my Savior, He came to live inside of me. When that happened, He gave me life. He gave me life that helps me to have satisfaction this side of heaven. You know the world is trying to offer the answer to the emptiness in sinners that don't know Christ as their Savior yet. There's a void there. There's something missing. And people try all sorts of things, don't they, to try to fill that void? I was talking to a young man uh, about a year and a half ago. He said, would you take me up in the airplane? I said, sure, I'll be glad to take you up in the airplane. He said, I want to do some fun stuff up there. He said, I I'm addicted to adrenaline. So i got to have the next exciting thing. If I can't do that, i got to go ride a motorcycle. i got to ride a roller coaster. I've got to move from one thing to the other, another and another. Can I tell you, he was looking for something that he could not find. And adrenaline wasn't going to fill the need. Some people look to drugs and alcohol thinking that's going to be the answer and the solution. Can I tell you this? You can take all the drugs there are to take and you can drink all the alcohol there is to drink. It's not going to solve the problem of that which is missing and void in your life. Some people try to have pleasure in sin. Go out and live immoral and debauched lives. Thinking this will be the answer. This will fill the void. This is what is missing, the excitement in my life. Go talk to Solomon about that who said in Ecclesiastes, he said, I didn't keep anything under the sun from me. I did everything there was to do. I, I tried everything there was to try. And at the end of the day, you know what he said about it? Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. 
no satisfaction there. Just an empty hole, a deeper hunger, a deeper thirst, and the penalty and the payment for our sin. Looming before us. Notice what John says in John, or what Christ says in John chapter number four. We're going to begin reading in verse number six. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink, for his disciples were gone away from the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of Him, and He would have given thee living water. When Christ, who is my life, He gave me eternal life, everlasting life. I'm thankful for that. But can I tell you this? Even on this side of heaven, He's given me living water. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Look what He says. Verse number 11. The woman saith unto Him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. She's thinking He's talking about actual water. And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater then our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Talking about the water from the well. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never, what? Thirst. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Can I tell you this? The world will never satisfy that emptiness that's within. There's only one thing I know of in this world that will satisfy it. And that is a drink of the living water of the Lord Jesus Christ. To put your faith and your trust in Him. To believe in Him as your Savior today and trust Him for your Savior, to be your Savior today. And the Bible tells us He'll give you living water. Why? Because He's our life. He doesn't just put us on the shelf until time to go to heaven and then says, okay, step up, get your ticket punch, it's time to board the train. No, no. He is involved in our life, every aspect of our life, every moment of every day. He makes our lives rich and overflowing. He tells this woman at the well, not only is it not going to cause her to thirst again, but it's going to be like a spring that that overflows, that bubbles out. Can I tell you this? Oh, that we would have a, a revival of Christianity that would have this kind of bubbling out kind of Christianity. I'm not talking about this fake and false running around, shooting and shouting, and, and just throwing, running down the aisles. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about a heart that is overwhelmed with the Lord Jesus Christ. Where we say, but thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. 
we could spend all day trying to express what God means to us and not even begin to start. We could spend another week here, another month. We could spend a year. We could spend until the time for us to go to heaven is and still have not even begun to express all that God gives to us when He gives us everlasting life. Jesus tells this woman, But whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. That's the satisfying work that God does in our lives. That void that you've been trying to fill, that one that you're out here trying to do everything you can to try to numb, numb the pain, trying to, trying to fill the void, not going to find it in the world. They don't have it. Oh, they'll make you think they do. They'll put ads on television. They'll put ads on the radio. They'll make them look sparkly. They'll make them sound sparkly. They'll put good-looking people up there. And they'll make it seem like, boy, if you just do this or buy this product, you'll, you'll, boy, you'll have everything will be fine. No, no. The only thing that the world causes you to do is hunger and thirst more. Jesus, Jesus will be your life. He'll be like a spring springing up in your heart. Like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Look with me in John chapter 10, just a few pages over. John chapter number 10. He gives us eternal life, everlasting life. He gives us a satisfied life on this side of heaven. And I'm thankful I can say today He gives us a secure life. John chapter number 10, look with me in verse number 28. The Bible says, And I give unto them eternal what? Eternal life. And they shall sometimes perish, never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I'm thankful that I get life from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that it gives me eternal life. I'm thankful that it gives me a satisfied life this side of heaven. I'm thankful that it is as a well that springs up inside of me and overflows. Can I tell you this? When I go to bed at night, I don't have to have the nightmares anymore. When I got saved at 13 years of age for months before, I would dream that God had come back and taken my family to heaven and I was left behind. Scared me to death. I'd wake up sweating and, and cry. For months I did this. When I got saved, I don't have those dreams anymore. Why? Because I'm not able to be plucked out of my Savior's hand. And since my Savior and His Father are one, 
and no man can pluck me out of His Father's hand, then I can say this today confidently. I am secure in the life that God has given me. That doesn't cause a Christian to be excited. I don't know what there is. If that doesn't cause our hearts to swell with love and gratitude for our Savior, I don't know what would. And if it doesn't cause a lost person to say, I want that, then I don't know what will. Because He'll give you the water. And oh, it's wonderful. Can I tell you this today? I'll tell you, standing here before you, it's wonderful. There's nothing like it. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that there's not been grief in my life. There has been. I'm not going to say there's not been some pain. There has been. I'm not going to sit here and say there's not been some traumatizing times in my life. There has been. But through it all, there was the water of life springing up within me. And it made it possible to go through those times. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know how a person who doesn't have it can make it through those times. Oh, I'm so thankful for the water of life. When Christ gave me life, He enabled me to do some things that I didn't used to be able to do. He enabled me to grow spiritually. You know, the Bible says that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Before I got saved, I couldn't grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't know Him. I didn't know Him and I couldn't get to know Him. I couldn't grow in Him and I couldn't have a relationship with Him. And I couldn't walk with Him and I couldn't spend time in prayer with Him. But when I got saved, He gives me the opportunity to fellowship with Him, to grow with Him. He gives me the opportunity to come to His Word and the Holy Spirit He gave me that's inside of me helps the understanding of this book to be very apparent. He allows me to grow. There's another thing He allows me to do. He allows me to love Him. I didn't love Him before I got saved. Before that life came in, I didn't have the love for God that I needed to have. Oh, there's a lot of people, if you ask them and say, do you love God? Their answer is going to be, yes, I love God. Because who's going to say they don't? The question today is, do you really love Him? Is your love growing for Him day by day? Is it getting sweeter and sweeter all the time? Are we drawing closer and closer to Him each and every day? When I got married, my my uncle told me, and I've shared this before here, But my uncle told me when I got married, the day I got married, he came up to me and said, Greg, I want to give you a piece of advice. He said, as often as I can do it, I tell your aunt, I love you more today than I did yesterday, but not as much as I'll love you tomorrow. And I thought, oh, if I could say that to God every day and mean it with all of my heart, Lord, I love You more today than I did yesterday. Not as much as I'm going to love You tomorrow. Can I tell you this? I couldn't love Him like that before He gave me life. I was dead in my trespasses and sin. A dead person can't love. I'm glad He made me alive. 
because He made me alive, I can obey. I didn't used to be able to do that. I was after my own will. I, I wanted to do things my way. But when I got saved and He gave me life, He gave me the ability to obey Him. We read this morning, Third John. John was talking to Gaius and he said, I'm thankful, I have joy that you know the truth, but he said, I'm thankful that you walk in that truth. And then he made this statement, he said, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. And I tell you this, there oftentimes is a misunderstanding of our obedience to God. We oftentimes look at it and we think of it grudgingly and say, well, I have to do it. No, 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 no. When He gave me life, the commands of God are no longer grievous. I have the wonderful privilege to obey Him. Why? Because I love Him. I love Him. Because He first loved me. He's given me the ability to obey Him. He's given me victory in my life. When He gave me life, He gave me victory. He gave me victory over sorrow. I can have sorrow in my life, but I'm thankful that I don't sorrow as others which have no hope. I now have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave me victory over sorrow. He gave me victory over sin. The Bible says there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is able who will make with that temptation a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He's given us victory over sin. We're not under its reign any longer. He's given us victory over our circumstances. I'm thankful that when we're trusting the Lord, it's kind of hard to see all the bad things of life when we have so much to give Him thanks for. And I'm thankful He's given me victory over death. Oh, this flesh will die one day. But not me. I'll still be alive. I'll be enjoying heaven for all of eternity. God gave me victory. When God gave me life, He allowed me to have a mind that is transformed by His Word. He allowed me to have a mind that is transformed by His Word. I didn't have that before. When He gave me life, He gave me the Holy Spirit to live inside of me. Didn't have that before. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, He gave me the opportunity to walk in the Spirit. To day by day do that which is pleasing to Him. To yield myself to Him and seek for Him to lead me. Didn't have that before. When He gave me life, He gave me the ability because of the Holy Spirit that's living inside of me to bear the fruit of that Spirit. I couldn't do that before. I'm going to tell you the greatest thing that Christ, who is my life, did is He opened a book in heaven called the Book of Life. He wrote my name in. Why? Because He's my life. 
No longer do I have to worry that I'm going to have to pay for eternity the penalty for my sinful life. I've been forgiven. Not only have I been forgiven, I've been shown His mercy. Not only has He shown me His mercy, but He took the righteousness that He had and He put it on my account and made it look just as if I had never even sinned before. Not only did He justify me and make it look like I had never sinned before, but then He extended grace. He allows me to spend eternity with Him forever and ever in heaven. Paul wrote, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Is Christ your life this morning? Have you trusted Him as your Savior this morning? Are you seeking for that void in your life? Are you trying to fill that hunger and that thirst that you just can't seem to satisfy? You're not going to find it anywhere but the Lord Jesus Christ. Let Him be your life. Let Him give you that abundant life that He came to bring us. Christian friend that's here today, let me ask you this. Even though you have trusted Him as your Savior, while we're on this side of heaven, can you truly say, when Christ, who is my life, Job said that he esteemed the words of God more than his necessary food. The psalmist in Psalm 119 spoke often throughout that chapter that if it were not for God's testimonies and His precepts and His statutes and His commandments, that He would not even be able to live. Why? Because even on this side of heaven, we need to understand that Christ is our life. In Him we move and have our being. Our life is not ours, it's His. It belongs to Him. And He is our life. You go about your day rejoicing. Christ is my life. I came in this morning to greet Brother Harold. He was the only one in here this morning. I thought it was just going to be me and him in Sunday school. I'm glad some more people showed up. He asked me how I was doing. I said, way better than I deserve. He made a statement. He said, but you're a child of the King. Oh, what a thought. You ever take a minute to think on that? You're a child of the King. Why? Because He's your life. He's your life. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and He made you alive again. I often wonder why in our Christian lives we don't have more joy than we do. Why we don't express it more at least, let's put it that way. Is it because we don't think often enough that Christ is my life? He's everything. Everything. 
He, he, he's, he's, he's more important than the air that I breathe. He's more important than the food that I eat. We jump out of bed in the morning. What's the first thought on our mind? Do we think of Christ? Or are we jumping out of bed thinking of our day that we got to plan? We go to bed at night. Do we linger in our thoughts and think, Boy, Lord, You've given me a wonderful day today. I've seen Your hand at work. I've watched as You've blessed my life. I just want to tell You thank You for the day that You've given to me. When we sit down at the noon meal, do we pause for a few moments? Say, Lord, You've been my life today. Without You, I could do nothing. Thank You for being my life. All the Christians would recognize that He is our life, not just for eternity, but for right now, for this present day. He is your life. Let's stand together, shall we?